Life can be stressful, even under normal circumstances. 2020 has challenged even the most difficult times of life. You need stress relief that goes beyond quick fixes. That's Headspace. Headspace is one of the only meditation apps advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research and can reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. Go to headspace.com slash C-suite for a free one-month trial. Headspace.com slash C-suite. This is the Rich Dad Radio Show, the good news and bad news about money. Here's Robert Kiyosaki. Hello, hello, hello. This is Robert Kiyosaki, the Rich Dad Radio Show, the good news and bad news about money. And today we have another really eye-opening program for you. As you know, we, we like to give you the good news and bad news. But today, our special guest has been on this program before. She's one of my favorite authors. One of the things the Rich Dad radio program does its best to do is open your eyes to what really goes on behind the scenes of money and what does the news not report. And when you watch Bubble Vision like CNBC or Forbes and all that, what are they not telling you? So today, it's a very exciting program because you're going to find out a lot about what you're not being told and what's really going on behind the scenes and why you should be a little bit worried about what you're not hearing. That's really the big thing. Our special guest has been on our program before. She's one of my favorite authors before, like I said before, her name is Nomi Prinz, N-O-M-I-P-R-I-N-S. She's a renowned journalist, former international investment banker, author, and speaker. And she is the author of this fabulous book, Collusion, how central bankers rigged the world. And for those of you who've been sleeping under a rock, a central bank is like the Fed, the Federal Reserve Bank, or the Bank of Japan, or the PBOC, the People's Bank of China. And what most people don't realize is approximately 50 to 55 central banks in the world, and they run the world. But you never really hear about them or see them. You hear these, they're, they're puppets really, like Ben Bernanke was the head of the Federal Reserve, but he was an academic. So was Janet Yellen. They're not really bankers or academics. And they're actually puppets up there. And they're told what to say, what to do, and give the world confidence. The book Collusion, it took me about five days to read it, but it was the most eye-opening book. And what's been going on since after 2008? There is a shuffling of deck chairs on the Titanic, as they say, and central banks like the Bank of Japan is now doing business with the PBL, the People's Bank of China, you have the European Central Bank, and all the guys that are running the show right now are shuffling chairs. So she's a very important guest today, and please pay attention, because you'll see what 99.99% of the world will never see. Any comments, Kim? Well, that's exactly right. She does see, Nomi sees what others don't see, and you know, you talk about your book, Fake, and there's fake news. Well, Nomi is real news, because before becoming an author, She worked on Wall Street. She was at Goldman Sachs. She was at Bear Stearns in London. She worked as a strategist at Lehman Brothers and an analyst at Chase Manhattan Bank. So she's the real deal. And plus, she's very down to earth. And we call her a very good friend of ours as well. So um, you're going to hear. She is for real. I really love her. (laughs) Very attractive, very smart, but very very down to earth. Very smart. Very smart. So she's coming from a different point of view. She's coming from a Wall Street point of view as well and taking the central banks and the Fed and to show us what really is going on today. It's and, not what the news is telling us. And what Nome did, she actually traveled the world foot, you know, we call it in the military called boots on the ground. She was, she was on the ground actually talking to the people in different countries. So one of the first countries she delved into in her book, Collusion, how the central banks rigged the world, she started with Mexico. Then she goes on to China and Japan and all this. One of the most eye-opening disturbing book I've ever read. So welcome to the program, Nomi. Welcome, Nomi. Thank you so much, Robert and Kim. You know, I, I love being on your show because, I, well, first of all, you're both awesome, awesome people, but also this idea of, like, unraveling the, the real sort of fake, you know, facade of, of what's happening at the source um, of, of money on a global basis, I think is really important because you're right. People don't no, and on a day-to-day basis, you know, they run lives. They don't have to know every detail, but, but it's really important to, to know what's going on in the background because that allows people to have a better handle on then what they do day-to-day. I mean, information does provide us 
you know, individual power in our own financial lives. Correct. So let me ask you this question really quick. We have guys like uh, Ron Paul. He was representative Ron Paul. He's a congressman. And he's been a very outspoken critic of the Fed. You know, he wrote a book called End the Fed and all this. And he was one of my first guys that kind of opened my eyes to what was going on with the Federal Reserve Bank. And his book came out in 1972, I believe, his first book. And it disturbed me when I read it. And he has not stopped. And in my opinion, what he was saying back in the 70s is more true today. So what do you think when a guy like Ron Paul, which is just sensationalism because nobody knows the real story behind the Fed, what do you? What goes through your mind given the depth of what you know when a guy like Ron Paul, a congressman, medical doctor, says, and the Fed? What, what, goes, what is your knee-jerk reaction to that? Well, you know, first what's interesting, like as a quick synopsis on, on how the Fed really operates, you know, when he started um, sounding the, the alarm bells as to what the Fed did back in the 70s, um, was almost nothing compared to sort of the power that the Fed has amassed since then. And, and his point was, and this is very interesting and connects to today, is back then um, we um, as a country were on the gold standard, meaning that there was some element of our money, of dollars that was backed by a real physical asset, which was gold. And that um, provided it a, a reality of confidence that, that has been superseded since, since 1971, um, since the uh, elimination of the gold standard completely um, by this idea of what we call fiat money. Now, what all that means, really, and why it's such an issue today, is that the Federal Reserve, as a central bank, basically is the banker for all the other banks that people use, whether it's Chase or Bank of America or even your local community bank, but the big banks have more of a tie to the Fed, has the ability to literally create money out of nothing. Now, we would all like to do that. We would all like to go to our bank accounts and all of a sudden see them magically grow by, you know, some flip of an electronic, you know, keyboard stroke. But the reality is the Fed really is able to do this. So, for example, in the last just 10 years since the financial crisis, what the Fed has done is they've electronically, um, you know, I call it conjured or fabricated because this money doesn't come from profit or revenue or anything real. It literally comes from their ability to, you know, create it out of nowhere, um, over $4.5 trillion worth of money from nowhere, which they have basically allowed um, to go into the private banking system. So the banks, having messed up the economy, having messed up the financial system themselves, effectively given the benefit of having more money thrown at them um, in return for them being able to do what they want to do right, with no strings attached. Right, no, but no, man, wouldn't you say the Fed was created as a backup for the big banks in case the big banks screwed up, the Fed would bail them out. Wasn't that probably the intention? Well, yeah, and, and, and it absolutely, that's, that's very true. One of the um, ways that the Fed came into being was because about 100 years before our last financial crisis in 1907, there was a huge, um, what they call panic on Wall Street. All the banks were losing confidence in each other. People were like storming their doors. There were cops in the streets trying to beat them back. I mean, it was mass chaos. And a man named J.P. Morgan, um, whose name is now on the largest bank in the United States, J.P. Morgan Chase, was given the ability by, at the time, the U.S. Treasury Department under President Theodore Roosevelt to use $25 million, drop in the bucket in today's money, but to basically give to whoever he wanted to on Wall Street to fix the problem. And he did that. That was the first official bailout. Um, in U.S. history, went to J.P. Morgan to do what he wanted with. But what he thought after that, you know, it's great to get money from the Fed to basically help your friends in a, in a panic financial situation, but he was afraid that there would come a time where the U.S. government, where the Treasury Department, would not be able to foot the bill for a financial emergency. So he, amongst other bankers um, at the time, major bankers of which he was the lead, um, started to push through the Senate, push through themselves, and figure out a way to have the central bank, the sort of mothership of banks, whereby private banks, when they had an emergency, could go and literally get money. I mean, it's basically like an unlimited ATM. So that's so, so the law. Yeah. So that's the Fed. 
the Federal that's, Reserve that's, Bank. That's, that's how it came about. Um, ultimately, it came about in 1913 through the Federal Reserve Act of 1913. But those six years in between, um, the panic and when the Fed was created, at that point, J.P. Morgan died. His son, Jack Morgan, was running his, his, his the firm. But, but the reality was these bankers worked with a couple of people in Washington. So it was very much a collusion between the central bank and the people in government who ran the finance committee. So the people who were supposed to protect um, finances for the, the public, for the rest of the country, worked together to create the central bank. They sold it to the public when, when the vote was cast for the act to create the bank as a means to, to give money to, like, poor farmers in the Midwest. You know, if there was a crisis that Wall Street didn't want to give money to um, small businesses, the Fed would effectively make sure there was enough money to run into those businesses. That's how it was sold. The reality is, is that since it was created and through today, the Fed, despite what its stated mission is, which is to keep the financial system kind of stable, to keep unemployment at a certain good level and so forth, actually still has the unlimited ability to create money out of nowhere and to effectively give it to the largest banks in the country. Correct. I and, call and, it a subsidy. Correct. And this is the, the power. You have two books. One is called All the President's Bankers, which came out in 2015, which I've just started now. And I went through collusion, how central bankers rigged the world, May of 2018. So I'm reading it kind of backwards. But what I understood from collusion was that everything changed again after 2008 when the other central banks realized the Fed had changed the rules again by just printing so much money to bail out their friends and family, making their rich richer but they also kind of screwed the other central banks. Is, is that kind of the theme of collusion? Well, what they did, that, that's exactly right. They, they, they picked favorites, very much like J.P. Morgan picked his banking favorites back before the Fed was created. I'll give you guys money, I won't give you guys money. I'll collude with you, I'll require you to do something else. So what wound up happening was, in the wake of the financial crisis, was central banks that played ball with the Fed, um, and still are, like the European Central Bank, like the Bank of Japan, who did the same things that the Fed did, which was to create trillions, literally trillions of dollars out of nowhere and give it into the largest banks and private corporations in their countries and in, into their stocks and so forth, depending on the country. That's what Japan does. The U.S. has other kinds of forms. In the European Central Bank, they give money to corporations and banks throughout Europe. Those major banks still operate under what the Fed required them to do in the wake of the financial crisis of 2008, which was to keep rates at zero or negative or low. The Fed raised rates you know, recently, but they're still very low, which is why people don't get a lot of interest on their savings account. It all ties back ultimately to the regular person. Um, but other countries were really at a detriment because in the emerging market countries, for example, like in Mexico and like in Brazil, you know, they're big economies. So they should have been able to sort of fend for themselves. But what happened was when the Fed required all of these other large central banks around the world to do what they were doing in terms of creating money, it was harder for these other central banks to create as much. They didn't have a deep bench. They didn't have the confidence in their countries because they were emerging market countries. As a result, they were at a disadvantage for artificially creating money out of nowhere to go into their system. So, so they fell behind the sort of more mega central bank countries. So, so a lot of them are in trouble now, like uh, Argentina's in serious trouble right now. But this is the point. The reason, the reason I want people to read collusion, because it took me a while to get through it, but you actually, after 2008, you were feet on the ground. You went to each of these different countries to find out for yourself rather than listen to what Wall Street was saying or some banker was saying. And you started with you started with Mexico, I believe. Then you went to China, Japan, and all that, and Russia and Europe. So that's why people, if you really want to find out what's going on with this thing called the central bank system or the collusion, it's that, that's her book by Nomi Prince. So let's quickly start. You know, everybody's talking about China right now. From your point of view, what's happening with the PB, the People's Bank of China, PBLC? What's happening there? Yeah, so the interesting thing um, is that the People's Bank of China actually retaliated at first against what the Fed was doing. And it was very public, saying, you know, what the Fed's doing is, is, is insanity. It's, it's, it's artificially manipulating markets by creating money out of nowhere. That can't end well. It'll create bubbles and, and so forth. 
and, and, and it has. And as a result, the People's Bank of China and China itself as a country started to grow um, actually as an economic superpower simply by saying, look, we have to be a little critical of the U.S. and the Fed because look what they did to the financial system. Look what they did to the world. And they started developing an independent policy um, from the Federal Reserve. They weren't sort of in, involved in the phone calls and everything that I, I talk about in my book, In Collusion. They were sort of separate. And what they did, though, they also created money, but they did it for a different purpose. They did it to go into, like, the building of China and into the building of countries around China, um, like Thailand, like Sri Lanka, and so forth, with which they had trade relationships. So they could actually build infrastructure. Um, they built green infrastructure. They built know, roads, highways, you know, very, very high-speed uh, networks of trains and so forth in order to put real assets on the ground. So they created money, but they had a strategy. Whereas with the Fed, there was no such strategy. It was just like, we'll give it to the banks, and we hope it somehow, you know, sprinkles itself into the real economy, which, which it hasn't done. Today, China's growth is, is slowing a bit, but it's still three times, three and a half times um, the growth of the United States economically. So, so they had much more of a strategy. So they, um, they invested their money wisely. Money. They invested their money to grow the economy. So there's nothing ultimately, you know, when you think about creating money or, or even borrowing, even going into debt to, to build something, um, as long as you have something on the other side um, that will pay off in some way, um, that's, that's, a, that's a positive strategy. You know, you right. can do the, the trade-off on that. You know, people do it every day as well in their own pocketbooks, in their own, their own checkbooks. But, but the Fed did not do that. The Fed, going back to something you said before, Robert, you know, they, they were used to like create confidence, kind of like to be mouthpieces to this idea that somehow the economy was better because of the money that they created. The reality is the U.S. economic growth, the, the gross domestic product, the GDP, and we call it, you've heard that term of the United States, has not grown by more than 2% on average in the last decade that the Fed has been throwing money into the banking system. That tells you something, because the stock market's gone up tremendously. The economy has not, despite what they say, and that's the other reason why you have to kind of ignore what they say um, and look at the real data. We talked about China, Mexico. Let's talk to you about Europe and how the how the, the, these central banks, after 2008, what happened? They all realigned. When we come up, we want to get more personal, is how does the Fed policy play into income inequality and how serious a problem is it. You're listening to the Rich Dad Radio Show with Robert Kiyosaki. What is your number one expense in life? Your number one expense, it's taxes. And I've asked the question is how come there's no financial education in school, but why isn't there education on taxes either? You know, they tell you to save money, which is stupid. They tell you to invest in the stock market, which is stupid. But what they teach you about taxes. So here at Rich Dad Advisor, Tom Wheelwright, we're talking about his revision for his book, Tax-Free Wealth. Welcome, Tom. Thanks, Robert. So what's the Tax-Free Wealth about? What, what's different this time? It's a revised edition. Well, so what we did was, is we ha this is the first major tax reform we've had in 30 years, 2017. Right. Was 86 was the last one. 86 was the last one, back right. when I was in Washington, D.C., so many guys got wiped out because of that tax change. <laughs> they did. They yeah. did. It wiped out an entire industry, savings and loans. This new tax law is just as big, but in a very different way. It affects different industries. You know, the tax law is always a series of incentives. And the question is always which incentives and which ones apply to me. And so the, the key to revising tax-free wealth was what is it, what changed so much in this new tax law that we can absolutely take advantage of, I mean, seriously, the amazing incentives. For example, I mean, the bonus depreciation, for example, for real estate is unbelievable. You buy a, a, a million dollar apartment, get a $300,000 reduction or more the very first year. So if you want to make more money and pay less taxes like Donald Trump and myself, get Tom's book, Tax-Free Wealth. Don't be like Charlie. Charlie is that do-it-yourselfer who does himself in. Do-it-yourself is good for tile and grout, it is not good for asset protection. Charlie thought he'd save a few dollars forming his LLC online. With no guidance, he did it wrong. When he sold the property, he lost thousands and thousands of dollars. He did himself in by trying to do it himself. Don't burn yourself. 
Use Corporate Direct to set up and maintain your LLCs and corporations. Corporate Direct is owned and operated by attorney and rich dad advisor, Garrett Sutton. Garrett wrote the bestsellers, Loopholes of Real Estate and Start Your Own Corporation. He is Robert Kiyosaki's attorney for asset protection. He and his team will do it right. Visit them at CorporateDirect.com or call 800-600-1760. Mention Rich Dad and receive $100 off your formation fee. That's CorporateDirect.com. CorporateDirect.com. It pays to listen. Now back to Robert Kiyosaki and the Rich Dad Radio Show. Welcome back, Robert Kiyosaki, the Rich Dad Radio Show, the good news and bad news about money. You can listen to the Rich Dad Radio Show anytime, anywhere on iTunes or Android. And you can listen to this program at richdadradio.com. The reason we archive all of our programs is so you can listen to it again because we are an education company. We don't give financial advice or recommendations. And if you listen to this program again, you'll learn probably 70% more than you listen to it once. But another very important part of the Rich Dad Radio program and why we archive them, just go to richdadradio.com, is so your friends, family, and business associates can listen to this program and discuss it. If you listen to this program again and discuss it with friends, family, and business associates, your intelligence will jump. And our very special guest today is Nomi Prinz, and she's a renowned journalist, former international investment banker. She worked on Wall Street at Goldman Sachs, at Bear Stearns in London. She worked at Lehman Brothers and Chase Manhattan Bank. So she is the real deal. She's the author of the book Collusion, How Central Bankers Rigged the World, one of Robert's favorite all-time books. And uh, happy to have you here. Thank you, Nomi, for being part of our program today and really opening up the eyes for Robert and me and for our listeners as to what's really going on. So can I ask one, one quick, quick question? Because we have this, this sideshow going on called Davos, and that's where the rich, powerful, and the bankers of the world all get together for a few days. Uh, President Trump boycotted or didn't attend it. But that's where the rich come to mingle with the powerful. And um, we're gonna get into how rich are the rich today. I'll give you an example how rich the rich are today. When I was a kid, most of my classmates had never been on an airplane. That's how old I am. Today, the rich own their own airplanes. But you're really rich today if you own your own rocket. And so today, <laughs> guys, you know, like from guys who yep. are buying from Tesla, Musk, they're all buying their own rockets today. I mean, they don't need the federal government to put rockets and uh, satellites in space. So if you have a private plane, you're rich, but when you own a rocket, you're really, really rich. So no mate, what's really going on with Davos? Anybody arrived by a rocket ship? And what and what is and what is Davos? So first of all, Davos is a, a ski resort town in Switzerland. Um, it is where um, about three thousand people, um, representing seventeen hundred um, corporations and a whole bunch of countries, with a few sort of do-gooders like from Oxfam, um, show up. Um, and, and they basically mingle amongst themselves at, like, very expensive, ornate sort of dinner halls and, and, and bars and parties and so forth. But ostensibly, it was created as um, part of an organization called the World Economic Forum in 1971, ironically, when the world went off of the gold, all gold standard um, to, to embrace the U.S. dollar. Um, but effectively, its mission statement, according to it, um, is to convene these people together to improve the state of the world. That's what they say, quote, improve the state of the world. Now, what they actually do is talk about how to improve their own sort of influence and networking and everything else. The cost to participate um, in Davos ranges from 60,000 to about 600,000 Swiss francs, which is sort of equivalent in dollars, when the only people who can afford that are actually corporations. Governments send dignitaries, they send, you know, presidents and so forth, and, and whole entourages of, of delegations to this, this event, um, for which taxpayers pay. So most of the elites that show up are either being, uh, you know, sent there on, on the dime of the companies that are effectively public companies. I mean, they're private companies, but they trade publicly on the stock market. And um, governments who effectively use taxpayer money to, to enable them to, you know, pay these prices and spend a week. It's five days, actually, but it's mostly people spend a week um, to talk about the state of the world and supposedly to um, talk about how to improve it. And, and so, and so uh, Romy, would you say that, there's the main conference, but the real conference takes place in the bars, restaurants, and in private parties, and not everybody's invited yeah. to those bars, restaurants, and private parties? 
Well, well, absolutely. I mean, there are whole chalets that are, you know, rented year after year where there are, you know, more select parties that go on after hours. That's where the real um, bigwigs and dignitaries um, come to, to, to gather. And it's, it's, it's a place where, yeah, the president of Brazil can get together with the CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase and effectively talk about how to expand J.P. Morgan Chase in Brazil, not how to improve the world. You know, that's not the conversation that's happening um, over expensive champagne and, and, and wine and so forth. So that's where all the sort of networking that really creates um, you know, major financial system and political influence really happens. What happens at the seminars, at the hour um, sort of talks that go on throughout the official um, five days is that, you know, these people are looking for media coverage. Last year, for example, the president of France uh, Macron had this like hour-long, like very, which for them is very long speech. After which he was given a standing ovation, talking about how great France was, how he was going to run it, everything was going to be great, everybody was going to be happy. Well, fast forward a year later, he's not even attending because he's busy dealing with a political crisis in France because people are demonstrating in the streets against his policies. So it's it's really ludicrous when you think of that. So there's an irony um, attached to the official message of helping the world um, with respect to the actual influence gathering that these people have by being in the same place at the same time. And it's, so what really happens in the real world relative to real citizens when they're not there. And it's, it's, a, it's a perfect example of what you talk about and what, what the people are seeing and what's really going on, because I remember watching some of those interviews from the last Davos and it was all about doing good for the world and we're going to improve this and we're going to improve that. But you're saying, no, it's really to improve their own pockets. Well, yeah, I mean, who really believes that Jamie Dimon, who, I mean, you know, most people shouldn't, you know, Chairman C.O. Chase is, is really thinking for the five days he's there, wow, how am I going to make the world a better place? <laughs> I mean, that's just not what's going on. Um, you know, he's like, well, how can I, again, how can I open up more and more chases in Brazil or, or wherever? So, yeah, it's, 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 um, it's kind of ironic um, that, it, that it still even receives this kind of, of media attention when that's kind of the, you know, the official purpose, but the actual happening um, has, has nothing to do with that. So no, and, me, you know, no, J.P. Morgan Chase, is, yeah. Oh, um, you know, and, and uh, Jamie Dimon, who's head of J.P. Morgan Chase, is a billionaire banker, and Rickard says that's kind of disgusting, you know, how can a banker become a billionaire? But anyway, we know there are ways. You know, our program is for average people like you, me, and you know, our listeners. What should they know from what you know that most people do not know about the central banking system? Like what I found out after doing more research is organizations like the Rothschilds actually control many of these central banks. So it's exactly as my teacher, Buckminster Fuller, said, the rich control the monetary supply of the world. And you said that in all the president's bankers, nothing really changes because the bankers never really change. So what should the well, average, right. I, average person know that you know? Yeah, I mean, that, 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 that's the thing, that the, the influence of these central banks goes beyond their, their official public, you know, sort of mission, which, for example, with the Federal Reserve is to um, make sure that unemployment stays low and um, inflation stays low. That's what they officially say. The reality is, um, they, they're members. They, they have members like J.P. Morgan Chase, um, which is uh, connected to the Morgan family. You know, going back in the day, who really owns the shares of the Fed? It's the major banks whose shares are owned by, and often cases, um, you know, families that have been in power for, for decades, if not you know, the better part of you know, centuries, centuries and a half. Um, so that, that's all the power that comes to bear on having these institutions that are created to look like they're helping the average person. But, but if you take a look, for example, what the Fed has done or what the, the, central, the Bank of England has done um, or the European Central Bank, what they've done is they've distorted markets, you know, in, in favor of these private institutions and, and the wealthy because that's who's getting the money. If you look at an individual, for example, and this is just something in day-to-day -day life listeners can be aware of, the result of money being made so cheap for the banks who screwed up the system um, by the Federal Reserve and being given so much money is that, for example, real people aren't getting interest on their savings accounts. So even though, going back to J.P. Morgan Chase and Jamie Dimon, who, yeah, became a billionaire because the Fed gave them all this money when they were in, in you know, problem scenario back uh, that they caused back in 2008, people who bank with Chase get less than a quarter of a percent interest, which is basically, you know, the better part is zero almost, on their savings account. Now, that number 
used to be something between 4 and 5% on average. That's a tremendous difference when you look at someone who wants to get a little ahead with saving money um, and using it for later and growing that money um, in, in, you know, that's one place to grow it. There's many places, but in their savings account where they can't do that anymore. Now, in contrast, other institutions online, for example, like, like American Express or different types of institutions, are giving about 2% interest. So they're giving almost 10 times the interest on people's savings that J.P. Morgan is giving. And J.P. Morgan, Chase, was given the money. So that's where it starts to hit real people. They're effectively taking cheap money from the Fed and not giving it to their customers. And it's their customers whose deposits are sitting there at the banks, giving them the opportunity to buy their own stock and and to be more speculative in the businesses they run and potentially, therefore, um, putting the world at risk again the same way they did 10 years ago. So, you know, for years I got into a lot of trouble by saying savers are losers simply because you, you save, but the Fed or the government prints money, which is, goes up faster than your ability to save, even the interest rates are high. And they, they just keep saving money, and then now they're all in the stock market because, as you say, they can't get anything from savings. So they become speculators in the stock market, and we've seen what the stock market is doing. And my opinion is this, is that the economy, governments, and the stock market and real estate are all floating on mountains of debt. Would you agree or disagree with that? Well, well, it, it is because, um, first of all, debt levels um, in the United States, actually throughout the world, are at historic highs. The, the New York Federal Reserve, which is one of the 12 um, sort of regional components of the, the main sort of mothership Federal Reserve, um, had a report out they do every quarter, their last one, um, have the number of um, the number at which households are in debt, um, different kinds of debt, so credit card debt, mortgage debt, auto loan debt, put it all together, um, of thirteen and a half trillion dollars. So that's 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 getting close to what the entire um, GDP or production of the United States is. But that but then the Treasury debt, in other words, the the debt that the government owes, is closer to twenty trillion dollars. So you add what the government owes to what people owe, if you're what corporations owe, and effectively there's $3 of debt behind every dollar of, of actual growth or profit or revenue or anything real. So that's why uh, the world really is, you know, and it's, it's similar if not worse throughout um, different countries throughout the world, and it's gotten worse since the Federal Reserve made money so cheap because that made people and governments and corporations think, okay, well, we can borrow more cheaply, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. I mean, that's a, it, it's smarter to borrow more cheaply than to borrow more expensively. I mean, that, that, that is smart. But the problem comes in when it's just too much. And there's, there's not as much a thought for what the, the assets or the growth or the real stuff at the end of that debt um, is going to pay out over time. Right. So, so that's so, the situation we have now. Got it. So, Nomi, we were watching a, an interview by Ray Dalio. And he's saying with all the, the debt and everything and what the government owes, he goes, There's, there, there seems to be a real issue in taxing the rich as much as 70%. He says that's a real issue. What do you think about that? When we look at where um, the growth has really happened in the U.S., it's not just grown the U.S., but it's grown people. And, you know, so people were more becoming wealthy together and it was collective and things were being, you know, like highways were being created. What, what they call the marginal tax rate was, was pretty high. I mean, it was, it, was, it was ridiculously high in some ways. It was like 90% back in, like, the Eisenhower times in the 50s and so forth. Um, that didn't mean their, their tax on everything the wealthy were making. That simply was something called the marginal tax, meaning above a certain amount, there was extra tax requirements coming in. And the idea of that was to, you know, help to build the country. Um, and, and, and it did work. You know, we talk about a 70% tax rate or so forth. You know, first of all, yeah, that's a high number. But also, it, it is, it's a marginal tax rate. So it, it's like most people don't make more than $10 million. The, the idea is to connect it to $10 million. Most people don't actually make $10 million. And if you make $10 million a year, you can figure out, you can hire smart enough accountants <laughs> and attorneys not to pay it. Now, the final question, right. I'm, I'm, we, we've, we've talked, the, the reason I love your book, Collusion, and I'm, I'm going through your, your earlier book, All the President's Bankers, is how it, they're all rigged together for decades. But we talked about the U.S. a little bit. You, you start with Mexico, went into China. But what is the story on Europe? You know, because 
hear I hear about Brexit, and I hear about Brussels, and I hear about Germany. But one of the bigger countries I hear about that's in trouble is Italy because of their debt. What do you know about the the ECB, the European Central Banks? What do you know about that? So here's this all again relates to what happened in the wake of 2008. It's the European Central Bank, which is basically like the Fed for for Europe. Um, also started to create money out of nowhere. And, and they, they, they started to pick and choose um, 10 years ago with that money, multiple trillions of dollars. Who would get it, i.e. what countries, what debt from what countries, their governments and their companies and their banks. In the case of some countries, they got more money from the central bank, from the European Central Bank, like Germany, like France. Um, and as a result, they did sort of a little better economically than some of like the, the poorer countries or the ones that were um, peripheral to the core Western Europe, like Italy, like Spain, like Portugal, like Greece. Um, we heard a lot about the Greek crisis back a number of years ago. The European Central Bank, rather than helping Greece, decided to take future revenues from Greece and to take Greek assets, which, which made it harder for them. With Italy, um, a similar situation is arising, but it's with the Italian banking system, which is that um, in the beginning of this 10-year period and, and throughout it, um, Italian banks have been lending out money um, in, in really a, a not particularly intelligent way um, throughout the countries, like not with a lot of collateral, um, over lending, not checking on whether um, loans would be repaid and so forth. And this was done throughout a number of the Italian banks. So what's happening now is with, you know, people or companies that borrowed from Italian banks are starting to not be able to repay them. So the banks are saying, wait a minute, we lent out all this money, and now we're not going to get it back, so now we need to have the government back us. But the government also borrowed a lot of money, and they have to repay that. So it's this, this cycle of debt that's been happening. So the European Central Bank, though they've been printing money, um, have neglected to you know, operate on an intelligent basis with this money, um, if they're going to do it anyway, with, with, with some of these... Um, countries and 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 what italy did is it just simply has overextended itself in, in terms of its debt and now its banks are are in a real crisis and throughout europe what we see i mean this is in spain it's in portugal with brexit um it's a kind of different kind of a crisis which is that people just don't have confidence in their government's ability to to, to put their needs first to like do their jobs you know as, as publicly elected officials so throughout europe we're seeing economic slowdowns overabundance of debt that has been the result of, of the policies that the European Central Bank has enacted over the last 10 years, which are similar to that of the Fed. And people just voting out governments left and right, um, you know, major elections coming up in Europe, um, in the EU in, in May and so forth, um, voting for Brexit to get out of the EU. Um, so people across the board are just so dissatisfied. You know, it's like the difference between their economic realities and what government officials are, are doing or not doing on their behalf, you know, economic dysfunction or, or slow growth is also becoming, you know, a, a political crisis. Um, and, and that's Europe right now. It's, it's going to be like that um, for the foreseeable future because people don't like it when they're not secure in their jobs, they're not secure in their own personal finances, and their government officials are making them promises and then not being able to, you know, go through with them. Yeah, so, so let me ask my final question to you because we... So we cover Mexico, uh, China, Japan, then go to Europe. And everybody says the United States is strong, unemployment is at near zero, and everything is rosy here. How strong, but the other, other thing people say, we don't live in a vacuum. If China su suffers, Mexico suffers, Canada suffers, or Europe suffers, South America suffers, how long can the United States just keep, how solid are we? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, we're, 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 we're not. And first of all, we, we haven't really, since the financial crisis, um, become as solid as unemployment figures or the level of stock market, you know, would indicate if they were isolated, you know, data points. But the reality is we have not grown by more than 2% um, in any year since the financial crisis. And on average, it's been closer to 1%. If you, if you look at it all together, it's, it's, it's not a lot of growth. You take inflation out of that, we're effectively negative. So we haven't really moved forward anyway. We've just looked better than some other countries, not China, but, but other countries. If a, if a major economic and growing population power like China has a weakening economy, it, it does impact the United States. It does impact its region. It does impact Europe. It does impact Latin America. It impacts everyone that China trades with, any of the large economies 
that engage because we have a world that's connected um, in, in trade or in, or in businesses with other countries, which, which they all do. When one falls or falters, um, it impacts everything else. So the U.S., if we just literally functioned on our own, which we don't, I mean, first of all, we owe like $20 trillion of debt to the world, but even if we did function on our own, that would be problematic. But we don't. We function in a world where, where trade and businesses and finance and intelligence are, are regularly traded back and forth. And if there's a major suffering in one area of the world, um, it, it does not stay isolated. So um, I think that, you know, with China, again, they're still sort of growing well compared to the U.S., but, you know, their weakness becomes a regional weakness, and that becomes a global weakness. You know, even something like, you know, you mentioned before Argentina. You know, it, countries that are depended upon by their regions, if they go weak, their regions become weak, and then, and then the world in general has um, this sort of cycling down of economic growth. And, and we're seeing that. that. That doesn't not affect the U.S. We, we are... We are um, whatever our trade agreements are and whatever the, um, you know, trade wars or any type of uncertainty surrounding them are, the reality is we have to be partnered with the world. And if the world or pieces of it are suffering, we will have suffer. that suffering come into our country. So, Nomi, thank you very, very much. I mean, please, everybody go get her book, Collusion, How Central Bankers Wrecked the World. And all the president's bankers. Her website is nomiprins.com. Final words, Kim? No, thank you, Nomi. Really appreciate it. You, um, and, I, and I love your initiative you're taking on, too, in educating women about the central banks and the economy and, and money. So uh, I wish you the best. And thank I'll, you so much. I'm very excited about that yeah, as well. Thank you, got, you for your support on you that. You got my greatest support. And so we'll come back thank with you. the most popular part of our program was Ask Robert, where you get to ask your questions. You're listening to The Rich Dad Radio Show with Robert Kiyosaki. Don't be like Charlie. Charlie is that do-it-yourselfer who does himself in. Do-it-yourself is good for tile and grout. It is not good for asset protection. Charlie thought he'd save a few dollars forming his LLC online. With no guidance, he did it wrong. When he sold the property, he lost thousands and thousands of dollars. He did himself in by trying to do it himself. Don't burn yourself. Use Corporate Direct to set up and maintain your LLCs and corporations. Corporate Direct is owned and operated by attorney and rich dad advisor, Garrett Sutton. Garrett wrote the bestsellers, Loopholes of Real Estate and Start Your Own Corporation. He is Robert Kiyosaki's attorney for asset protection. He and his team will do it right. Visit them at CorporateDirect.com or call 800-600-1760. Mention Rich Dad and receive $100 off your formation fee. That's CorporateDirect.com. CorporateDirect.com. Financial freedom begins with financial education. Now back to Robert Kiyosaki and the Rich Dad Radio Show. Welcome back, Robert Kiyosaki, the Rich Dad Radio Show, the good news and bad news about money. Once again, I want to thank Nomi Prinz. She's the author of the book, Collusion, How Central Bankers Rigged the World. And her other book, which I'm just starting, is All the President's Bankers, came out in 2015. Collusion came out in 2018. Trust you'll learn something from this thing about how the central banks are colluding to run the world. So you can listen to the Rich Dad Radio program anytime, anywhere on iTunes or Android, and all of our programs are archived at richdadradio.com. We archive them so you can listen to this program again because repetition is how we learn more. So if you listen to this Nomi Prince interview one more time, you'll learn so much more about the central bank systems and especially Davos and why nobody really cares about you anyway. <laughs> so you gotta care about yourself. A lot yourself. of truth in that, a lot of you know, truth in the, that. My banker doesn't care as long as you have money. But anyway, uh, listen to this program again with friends, family, and especially business associates and discuss, and you'll find your what you learn will just blow your mind apart because you'll pick up so, more, so much more because you've listened to Lomi for about 30 minutes now. You heard her voice, inflections. It's better than reading a book many of times. I thought what she talked about with Davos was pretty eye-opening yeah. because it kind of sets the tone of the world, which is Davos was originally brought together, and it's, she said it's written down to improve the state of the world and how it's become to improve the state of individual pockets and companies. Correct. Um, nothing about improving the world. It's about how much money can is in it for me. And I, I, think I think she said there's 600 people there. 
1,700 oh, 1700. Co- corporations and countries represented. And not yeah. everybody's invited to the in parties. To the in parties, it's yeah. Just, the it's big just money real is. life. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it the is. in crowd or the outhouse. I mean, in crowd or out, so, out crowd. I mean, there's no, there's no doubt that people don't trust the governments and aren't trusting big corporations. The rich guys and all that. You know, it's less and less now because of that. So it's uh, eye-opening. And, I, I th- you know, it comes down to the basic thing is that the Rich Dad Company is, is created so that so that we're not depending on anybody out there at politics, anybody to take care of us financially. We've got to d- depend right. upon ourselves. If I paid the 60000 you know, I might be able to get a cup of coffee and listen to a couple of the, couple of the seminars. But what my our friend Jim Rickard said, says, that's not where this thing takes place anyway. If you're sitting in the seminar room, the deals are made at private parties over lunch, dinner, and in the bars. That's where the real policy takes place. So if you're not in, you're out. So I want to thank Nomi for uh, doing her best to share with us what the rest of us do not see. So going to the most popular part of our program, which is Ask Robert, we get to ask us your questions. And you can submit your questions to askrobert at richdadradio.com. So what is the first question, Melissa? Our first question today comes from Mel in Philadelphia. Favorite book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad says, Robert, I want to thank you for changing my life. You and Kim have taught me so much about my family, and we are so much happier because of what we've learned listening to Rich Dad. I have made progress financially and have a younger individual asking me to be his mentor. I do not feel that I have the credentials to mentor. It's something I'm trying to figure out. At what point did you and Kim feel comfortable mentoring? I think that's one of the most humble and profound, intelligent questions you could ask. You know, I, there's so many people who know little, but they think they know everything. And we'll probably hang out with a number of them. They know everything. The most important thing is to be humble. If you don't know something, say, I don't know. Say, I'm learning that myself. Well, I just know there's always three sides to a coin. You know, there's heads, tails, and the edge of the coin. And, uh, you know, when I, I talk about how, you know, people talk about flipping the house. And I, I don't flip houses, you know, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't. Always says that understand. I would recommend taking a class before you flip a house. So those are the things we talk about. Just be aware that you don't know everything, and tell this young person, "I don't know everything," and then discuss it with them. Any comments, Kim? Yeah, it's a great way to learn is to is to teach. teach. And uh, one of the things that Robert and I do our best to do is we don't we don't give advice. We do our best to just speak about the experiences that we've had and we come from the experience. So yeah, we've tried this, this worked, this didn't work. Here's what we did, here's what we didn't do. Um, and I think if you just come from your own experience, that is, that's great teaching right there. And I would suggest, you know, if you don't have a, ca- get a cash flow game and teach, and you'll learn more by physically doing something because the, the mind is very, very weak. You know, you give, you give me a division, I can't do the division, but I can, do something physically. You know what I mean? That's, that's really tough. How do you learn language? Well, you have to speak it. You don't just listen to it. So you have to do something. So I would get the cash flow game and teach them. If you don't have a cash flow game, everybody's got a monopoly game. And that's how I learned it. You know, four green houses, one red hotel. And that's what, how my rich dad started teaching me as a kid. Is I understood four green houses and one red hotel, and that's what Kim and I do today. We have thousands of little green houses and a couple of red hotels, right, Kim? Yeah, and and you know we go back to a thing called the cone of learning, which we use as a teaching tool. It was uh, created by a gentleman named Dale Edgar. Edgar Dale. Created by a gentleman named Edgar Dale, and it talks about how people learn best, and the way you learn best is by doing the real thing. So anytime you go out there and do the real thing, you're going to get feedback, you're going to learn, and that's how change happens too. That's how growth happens. And, and that's why a lot of school teachers, you know, they teach kids to be poor because they tell you not to make mistakes. Yes. So the way you learn is by making mistakes. <laughs> and that's what Edgar Dale in 1969 came out with this thing called the cone of learning. You want to do the real thing, but most importantly, you want to, real from, you want to learn from real teachers. Most, when it comes to money, most teachers are fake teachers. They're salespeople. Most school teachers know nothing about money. If they knew about money, they wouldn't be school teachers. I know that sounds harsh, but I'm just giving you what my reality and the whole thing is. So be careful who your teachers are. I'm coming out my commercial message here. I'm coming out with my latest book called Fake, Fake Money, which is what Nomi was talking about in 1971. The U.S. dollar became fake, and people are saving that stuff. It's really silly. They can print it. Why would you save it? Second is fake teachers, and most people don't know if their teachers are real or f- fake. And that includes your stockbroker, your financial planner, your school teachers. 
like some of the worst people I've met are people who teach accounting. And not that I'm an accounting, but I know more about accounting than the accounting teachers because I have to do accounting, but I don't know any accounting. And the third category is fake assets. Most people are poor because they're buying fake assets. In Rich Dad Poor, the definition of an asset is something that puts money in your pocket. Most people are putting their money in things that take money from their pocket, like stocks, bonds, mutual funds, ETF, savings. They don't put money in your pocket. Why would you invest in them? But to do what Kim and I do, and most of my advisors do, you have to have financial education. The sad part about it is most people cannot do what Kim and I do, but if you have a financial education, you start playing Monopoly or cash flow, you might be on that road. Anybody can learn, but the way they teach right now is via fake teachers teaching you to save fake money and to buy fake assets. And you wonder why there's a gap between the rich and everybody else. Next question, Melissa. Our next question comes from Damon in Gilbert, Arizona. Favorite book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. What are your top three choices for financial news? Not which books, but which specific outlets do you and Kim seek out for your daily financial updates? That's, that's a very, very Good important question. question. Again, that's in my book, Fake, Fake Money, Fake Teachers, Fake Assets. The story I, t I tell in Fake Teachers was when I was in Sunday school, which I flunked out of also. <laughs> the, the teacher asked me, he said, what made the three wise men wise? And I said, well, so they had money, you know, frankincense, this, and myrrh, whatever they had, gold and myrrh. She says, no, that's not it. So, well, what made them wise? She says, they always sought new teachers. So the whole point here is this, is never stop looking for teachers. Even a bad teacher will teach you something if you're aware they're, they're not, you know, a, a bad, a fake teacher is somebody who doesn't practice what they teach. And when it comes to life, most teachers don't practice what they teach. Like my calculus teacher, I was flunking out of that too. In my third year of calculus, I asked this guy, I said, hey, do you ever use this stuff? He goes, no. I said, well, why do you teach it? He says, because I get paid to. And that's when you gotta know, you have to ask your teacher, do you do this every single day? And you look at most of our advisors, like Tom Wheelwright, he does what he does. He does taxes every single day, so he's my teacher. I don't listen to a, a high school accounting teacher because they're fake. They don't do this every day. You know, Kenny McElroy, when it comes to real estate, that's all Kenny does every that's single day. Every right? single day he's out there doing it. Yeah, and so the problem is you really have to know who's real and who's fake. And one of the best ways to know if somebody's real or fake is do they do it every day? Again, that goes back to what Kim says about the cone of learning. You want somebody who's doing the real thing. Right below that is called a simulation or a game. So you practice cash flow, you practice monopoly, and then you seek real teachers. And there's always a new teacher. That's one of the beauties of Rich Dad Radio. The best thing I love about it is I get to listen to people like Nomi Prince. You know, there's no way, you know, Goldman Sachs or Bear Stearns or Lehman Brothers or Chase Manhattan would ever hire me, so I could never learn what she learned, right? That's correct. But it also goes to some of our radio show guests who are doing the real thing every day, like Nomi. Um, so, for example, Bert Dolman. So, Bert Dolman, he's trading every single day. He's watching the markets every single day. So, the whole company subscribes to his newsletter called The Wellington Report. Yeah, I would, I would subscribe to The Wellington Report. It's not cheap, but it's the most valuable. Not that his information is usable, but I, I would say he teaches as he's, as he's teaching you. So, he's not telling you buy this stock or short that stock and all this. He actually teaches you. Just like with Alexander Elder on his book is Trading for a Living. That's all he does. You know, he's an excellent trader. So be careful on who you take your information or education from. Are they doing the real thing every day? Don't ask Kim and I about raising kids. That's all we have is a puppy, right, Kim? That's it. Kim, we, we have no Kim, advice on parenting. Kim, Kim's great at raising puppies, but not raising kids. <laughs> so once again, I thank you all for listening to the Rich Dad Radio Show. Thank you to Nomi Prince. Once again, her book is called Collusion, How Central Bankers Rig the World. And uh, you can submit your questions to Ask Robert at uh, richdadradio.com. Thank you for listening to the Rich Dad Radio Show. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.